Welcome to another episode of the Big J and Little J Show. I'm your host, Jordan Mann. Along with me is Connor O'Neill. Connor, Duke, 2-0, still ranked 21st in the AP poll, inching closer and closer, little, little, little by little to the top 20. But we'll dive into Northwestern. But first, how are you doing today, bud? I bet. Uh, just, just hit publish on a story here on Monday afternoon after the uh... – Mike Elko's weekly presser and uh, take a look at that on duke.rivals.com. But uh, yeah, we're doing all right. I- I'm, I'm glad to be in a normal week of football. Yeah. The the whole condensed week, even though it was an FCS game covering one school that started on a Thursday night and didn't play for till Saturday and then covering the other school that started on a Monday night and then played again on Saturday. I felt like I was living two parallel lives. So it- it's good to get into routine here and, until my teams play each other on a Thursday night. Yeah, but at least you have them at the same place on a Thursday night to where you can kill two birds with one stone rather than – I can't imagine playing Thursday, Friday, or Thursday, Saturday with the travel that you have to do. But, yeah, I mean, Duke's 2-0, and and Wake. Wake looked good, too. Wake did well against Bandy. Uh, I lost the over by half a point because Dave Clawson kicked a field goal from the three-yard line, but it's fine. We're going to recover from that. It's a new week. But, yeah, that really hurt. And plus that goal line fumble that happened. Uh, so, yeah, the over in that game was demoralizing. Yeah, that was not meant to be. Yeah, it wasn't. But 74-yard we'll get... run down inside the three and guy fumbles the next player two plays later. Yeah, I mean, it was a weird day for college football throughout the state of North Carolina with all the delays and even basically the ACC because Virginia Tech also had – Virginia Tech started at noon and they finished at 9 o'clock at night. So, yeah. I feel I bad. Had to go back to the, I, had to, I had to, like, double-check the math when I saw somebody say that they covered a game that started at noon and ended at 9.30 p.m. I was like, What? Yeah, shout out to my buddy Rubush that had to endure nine hours of pain against Purdue. And then how about uh, Pry? I don't know if you saw this, but they put in Drones, the backup QB, for the first time in the game with the last two minutes of the game. So shout out to your first possession with the winning possession. I don't know what you're thinking there. But, again, I have Virginia Tech money line, so this is also me ranting about that. It was a tough week for your boy. You have enough money left to gamble on week three? Uh, probably not, no. I'm putting my car up for this week. so coming into week three duke obviously plays northwestern but we're going to recap real quick lafayette connor what did you see obviously with the bad weather i mean the skies opened up in the third quarter second or third quarter in the duke game but obviously it was right at halftime oh yeah but obviously the first possession for duke didn't miss a beat riley leonard led the offense to an effortless touchdown drive but the defense gave up what seven what was a 17 play drive was it that long it was like a 74 yard drive for Lafayette to make it seven seven yeah I mean the you know look the other team has scholarship athletes too they just don't have as many as Duke uh, right. when you talk about the FCS FBS matchups but the one that really kills you on the touchdown that Lafayette scored was they're kicking a field goal uh, did they miss the field goal? No, or he made it. He made, he made it. it. So, but uh, I can't remember who jumped offside. Al Blades um, jumps offside and, and converts a fourth and five for him. 
And Lafayette does one of the cardinal sins of football where they take points off the board, and on the next play they score. Yeah. Um, so you're always going to – your nerves are always going to be a little frayed when you beat a top-10 team, you get into the rankings for the first time in a number of years, and all of a sudden it's the end of the first quarter and you're tied 7-7 with an FCS school. Like, I, I get it from that standpoint. you got to understand, man, <laughs> these guys were fried. Oh, yeah. Um, they, you know, you can you can talk about all the recovery that you want uh, when you go through the emotions that you do uh, on a night like Monday night. Given it, it's a night game, it's not like they played at noon and they were in bed all at a reasonable hour. Like Jordan Waters told us uh, before the Lafayette game that on Monday night, granted, it was Tuesday morning that he's talking about. He like went back to the hotel with some family and stayed in their rooms and talked till 3 a.m. And then went back to his dorm or his apartment or whatever. And he didn't fall asleep until 5 a.m. <laughs> yeah. It gives you a sense. It gives you a sense of just where these guys' bodies were uh, last week. And that's a recovery process that you, even if you're in college, even if you are a division one athlete, you're not recovering that quickly. No. Um, so yeah, Duke had the game under control in a in due time. Um, the big one was the the fourth down stop that Duke got. Might have been a little bit of a questionable call from from my poor angle in the press box. It certainly looked like he got the first down and was not given it on the review. Mm-hmm. And then what was it? Did, did Duke have a fourth down? And then Duke had a fourth down where it looked like Duke did not get the fourth down. And, they and, gave it to and him. got it. So. <laughs> So there was definitely uh, you're you're teetering there. Like if if though if either one of those calls goes the other way, you're still you're feeling a little more nervous than you wound up feeling. But um, after that, it was all smoothed out. Uh, Mike Elko talked today uh, Monday in his, in his um, weekly presser about he didn't feel like the defense settled in until halfway through the second quarter, and then he felt like they played good football. Um, Miles Jones had a grown ass man interception where he just took the ball from uh, the Lafayette receiver down the field. Actually, I was looking for the ball on the ground. Like I didn't realize that he still had it until he was running the other way with it and trying to make a play. And then Joshua Pickett gets his first career interception. And those are the two plays that I look at. And I wrote about in a notebook um, when Mike Elko says, we need to be better at uh, aggressively playing the ball in the air. Those are like, the two that you put on film and say everything that we talked about for the last eight months that we need to do, we did it here. Like now they need to do it the next 10 games. And uh, Mike was completely realistic in the post game about, you know, he knows, he knows that it's going to be harder to do that in the next 10 games than it was against Lafayette. We don't have to beat around the bush in that one. Probably going to be harder in in a lot of the next 10 games than it was against Clemson. Yeah. We're being honest about the state of their receivers room. But um, this was a good game. This was a this was a fine game to have after a Monday night opener. Uh, I, I would kind of cringe if either of Duke's next two games were their game after the Clemson Monday night game rather than the FCS game. Like, I'd be kind of concerned if if uh, this Northwestern game or the game at UConn came up next on the schedule you know what i'm saying yeah yeah i mean that's like uh those are games you don't want on short rest 
Correct. And that's why both Duke and Clemson scheduled FCS opponents after what's going to be an emotional and physical game that's going to be a short week. I mean, we you just touched on the slow start for Duke. I mean, Charleston Southern went out to a 14-7 lead against Clemson yeah. because Klubnik threw one of the worst interception pick sixes I've ever seen. That's where a QB trusts their arm strength way too much, and it looked like he thought he could get it to the sideline, and he couldn't, and he threw it right to the defender. And he went untouched for a pick six. And obviously Clemson woke up and won 66 to 17. So they were fine after that. But that's why you schedule an FCS opponent after such a tough week one game, because both teams are going to come out sloppy the next game. Like you said, I mean, Duke practice one day before Lafayette because they need to rest guys before the game and then the walkthrough Friday before the game. So it's just it is what it is. And. Coach Elko said after the game that the defense needs to take another step. Like, obviously, as a fan, it's nice to see first two games, Duke's given up a touchdown both games. But obviously, if you watched segments of the Lafayette game and even the Clemson game, I mean, Clemson got in the red zone three or four times and just didn't punch it in. But there's holes that need to be filled for Duke if they really want to have this Cinderella run of a season. And it starts with Northwestern coming into week three. Uh, what are your thoughts with Elko saying that the defense needs to take a next step? I think he kind of gave it, gave himself away uh, at his press conference today. He said something about he's he's a defensive coordinator at heart, and he's always going to nitpick with the defense. I think the defense has played pretty well. Um, I think they gave up some bad third down conversions where they lost contain on the quarterback, uh, Dean DeNoble. Um, I also think that Lafayette had a different starting quarterback last week. They had Ryan Schuster was their quarterback until their last drive of their season opener. Yeah. So it's not really like Duke had a ton of, and he didn't play as a freshman. Like his first game action came with one drive uh, a week ago in Lafayette's opener. So it's not like Duke had any kind of sense of who Dean DeNoble was. Um you don't know his tendencies. Uh, I don't know. I mean. And you're playing an offensive coordinator that knows Elko because he was a GA under Elko's defense. And they flipped over to offensive side of the ball. And you could tell, like, some of the play, some of the reads that they had, the hot reads when Duke signature blitzes, and they immediately threw where the blitz was coming from. Like, that was scouted because the guy knew, knew Elko's game plan. Or he has seen Elko's game plan firsthand. Yeah. Yeah. I. Man, I, I like Mike. I I think I don't think I'm too far out of line in saying I think Mike's being a little overly critical of his defense here. Uh, it's also it's also a matter of Duke's offense in two games has done basically everything you would want them to do. Yeah. Um, you know they they had a couple three and outs against Clemson. Uh, the two running back fumbles are tough. There's actually, I mean, they've. They've had a running back lose a fumble in each game. It was Jaquez Moore against Clemson, Jordan Waters against Lafayette. That's already more running back lost fumbles than they had all of last season. Uh, Jordan Waters had the only lost fumble of the entire season last year, and that was at Pitt. So, yeah, you're concerned about that. You don't want it to turn into a habit. Uh, you correct those things in practice and hope that they don't show up in the game and, and hope they are corrected. Um, Clemson, you had some three and outs. Uh, I, the story that I just wrote talks about how Duke hasn't given up a sack all year. Um, 
I think Riley Leonard's thrown for something like 303 yards total. Like they haven't even needed to air the ball out because their running game has been so dominant. Mm-hmm. Um, if, I'm, if I'm doing the quick math in my head, it's something like 430, 440 yards on the ground. So it's it's an offense that's functioning really well. And where I'm going with that and talking about the defense is it's always it's never going to be even. You're never going to talk about the offense being just as good as the defense or vice versa. So you're always going to be looking at the one unit that needs to kind of step up their game to get to the other unit's level. And I think that's where we are with Duke's offense and defense. You're you're looking at an offense that has moved the ball really well for the most part, uh, especially against Lafayette. They never punted. Um, they had nine. They had nine drives. One of them ended the game where they're taking knees. Out of the other eight, they scored six touchdowns. They had a missed field goal, and they had the fumble. So, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think the defense is fine. I can see where he's coming from, though. Like there's. Like you said, there was a couple of containment issues on third and longs that the quarterback got to the first down marker. And that's like the one thing that I'll nitpick about Duke's defense is last year in the losses, they couldn't get off the field in third downs. And in the first two games of the season, they kind of struggled in pockets of the game. I mean, Clemson first half, defense looked lights out. And then second half, that crazy stat that Clemson didn't score nor punt in the second half is mind-boggling. So it's like they got where they wanted to be but couldn't punch it in. So, I mean, Duke's defense literally game one was bend, don't break. And then they did enough, obviously, against – they dominated an FCS opponent, which you wanted to see after the first quarter. And so I can see where he has issues with the defense in that regard. But what you said about the the run game, I mean, it's 460 yards, six yards of carry – seven touchdowns in two games running the ball. And Riley Leonard is 311 yards and a touchdown pass because you just haven't needed him to do anything through the air. Obviously, we know what he can do on the ground. Just rewatch the Clemson game or the Clemson 46-yard run like I have 3,000 times. Obviously, now Duke shifts their focus to Northwestern. Pickett, I'm not sure what he what he's going to be, if he's game-time decision or what. Jeremiah Lewis, this is a redemption, redemption game for Jeremiah Lewis as he transferred to Northwestern and then back to Duke. But obviously he didn't play last week, so I'm not sure what he's going to be this week. But that would be cool if he did play just to know that he had redemption game last year against Duke at Northwestern, now redemption game at Duke against Northwestern. So that'd be cool to see. But, yeah, what are your thoughts going into week three against Northwestern? I'm telling you, you got to go with the the safeties. They're just not so newcomers. You got Terry Moore back there is new to the secondary, but not new to Duke. And Jeremiah Lewis is new to this coaching staff. And he's new in the sense that he wasn't with Duke last year, but he's certainly not new. Like uh, Dwayne Carter told us after the Clemson game, like he's like, J. Lou, that's that's our guy. He's always been our teammate. Um, yeah, going into the Northwestern game, I mean, Duke is a 17 or 18 point favorite. I know yeah, 18 point, them 18 and Wake and opened up. Yeah, them and Wake opened up right at the same number. So I'm never going to get those two straight all week. But, um, you know. See, I'm, I, was, I told you, I said the pregame or our preseason prediction. I was worried about this game. And obviously, like, 
they look they as the Northwestern look so bad week one. Like one of the bottom five power five teams looked so bad in the first half against UTEP and then outscored UTEP 31 nothing in the second half. And I don't know if it's like they found something or what you call a dead cat, a dead cat bounce, where it's just like, hey, we're showing life. And then the week after they're back to what they were. So I'm nervous, but I'm gonna let you give your well, I mean, we can throw out the the stat that Mike Elko is zero and one in his tenure against interim coaches. That's a that's a stat that I and you know me with interim coaches, and I called that game last year against Georgia <laughs> Tech. I said I didn't have a good feeling. So yes, that is a stat. I just, I mean, I'll tell you what. I'll give you another stat. I like Duke's chances to win if they're winning at halftime because. After last night, Duke is now 10-1 and one under Elko when leading at the half, which is a crazy Duke football stat. That's a Coach K Duke basketball stat, what the win percentage there. With the Duke football to be 10-1 and one in anything, like that is incredible. And they're now 1-3 when trailing at halftime under Mike Elko. Don't say you know what, you know what the one is. Uh, What was the one? Wait, no. It just happened a week ago, man. Oh, yeah, Clemson. Yeah, because yeah, we were down seven six. I drew a blank. I totally forgot about the uh, <laughs> the fumble, the botch fumble. Yes, yeah, seven six. And I was trying to, I overthought it, but yes, is that right? We only yeah. we didn't win a game last year on trailing at half. Nope. Wow, that's remarkable. That is a good stat, and stat that I am now nervous. Yeah, because. The the Georgia the the Georgia Tech game was terrible mm-hmm. from start to finish. The Pitt game uh, didn't get things going until the second half, until they had to win. Really, what was and, the uh, game that we lost that we were up at half? Do you know? Yeah, you're not gonna like it. UNC game. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Twenty one seventeen. Yeah, but that was just so small margins. And yeah, they, they, I mean. That's the thing. You're you're sitting here. Ten of uh, one is a crazy stat. Fifteen games into Mike Elko's tenure, he's never been blown out. Yeah, and the, the worst loss, going eleven and four uh, to the start of his Duke coaching career. The worst loss was an eight point loss at Kansas last year when Kansas was everybody's darling. Uh, the Colorado this year that, with that. a with a great quarterback. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I. To, to get to your point and get us <laughs> tracked a little bit, I feel kind of like I'm sitting here with an Orioles hat on uh, early this season. Everybody's like, uh, you know, we don't know if the start is for real. The Rays are really good. The Orioles still might be a year away with all their young talent, the young core, like Gunnar Henderson struggling. Uh, Anthony Santander is a slow starter and he looked really slow and, uh, Ryan Mountcastle had vertigo, a uh, little Roy Williams disease there. But at some point, you're just like, relax. They're good. Like, this is a good team. Uh, that's kind of where I'm at with this Duke team. Like, they've shown you they're good. Uh, believe they're good. Like, they believe they're good. You can have confidence in them. They have confidence in themselves. That's for damn sure. Um, no, it's this is an interesting two week stretch. Like I'm not going to blow this off and say that they could lose uh, either one of these games. They, I'm not going to say they couldn't lose these games. Like they still have to play well to beat the next two teams, 
But everything about these next two weeks is going to tell me, like, how – see how I can phrase this correctly. Like, if they don't play their best, um, where's their floor is, is basically what I'm looking for. Okay. Yeah. If, if they come out and play their best, uh, they should handle Northwestern and UConn very easily. If they don't play their best, if they if they throw a C plus game or whatever, if they don't have you know, keeping it with the baseball analogies, if they if they have a four pitch arsenal and don't have two of their pitches, can they still make things work with the two pitches they've got? Like can they can they still win games like that? Um, I want to yeah. see that over these next two weeks because that's going to tell us a lot going into kind of the that next game that looms pretty large right now with Notre Dame. Yeah, and that's the one thing I guess Elko has been saying from the beginning is that they he really wants to tune out the outside noise that comes around the program and keep it all inside. And with Duke beating Clemson, it was like, all right, now look at Duke's schedule. Like there's no there's no test until Notre Dame. And that's the noise that he needs to keep out of the locker room because as Duke just beat Lafayette, now it's one more down. We're getting closer and closer to Duke Notre Dame to top twenty-five matchup. That's where you slip up and you hear that outside noise because you look past the Northwestern team that Duke beat last year. Granted, it came to a goal line stand by Jalen Stinson forcing the ball out, but Duke Duke can't look at them as like they're in shambles. They have an interim coach. They they have not looked good for a see a year. This was the first win since. I think I saw it was their first win on U.S. soil since 20 – it was yeah. definitely 2021, but yeah. I'm trying to find the exact date. So it's been two years. I way through that season. Yeah, and so I had it up here, and I can't find it now. But, yes, it was a 12 – they just came – they just ended a 12-game losing streak to UTEP. And yeah. Duke can't look past Northwestern and then past UConn. And so I think the key for Duke is they're going to have to stop the run game because their quarterback for Northwestern, Ben Bryan, is not good. He's just not. I watched the Northwestern Rutgers game because I had Northwestern plus six and a half that game, and he <laughs> was not pretty on that offense. But what North Northwestern does have and they'll rely on is a run game. I mean, Evan Hole is gone, thank God. Duke doesn't have to worry about any – running back screens or any handoffs to a tank, uh, Ethan Hole or Evan Hole was. But they do have Cam Porter back, and Cam Porter ran against Duke last year too. And he had he had 17 carries for 90 yards last game. And if you box score watch from the 38-7 game against UTEP, nothing stands out to you. So it's just like, well, what happened? Because they only threw for – starting QB threw for 116 yards. And then Ryan Holinsky – the best stat of the game was one for one for 85 yards and a touchdown. So, I mean, that's the <laughs> best stat you could ever ask for. But even the run game, like 39 carries for 184 yards. And so I think Duke just got to stop the run game against uh, Northwestern and no turnovers. Like you said, Duke's already fumbled it a couple times. And like if you just – I. I Fully trust Todd Polino, let me tell you. That just was the perfect – that was the perfect uh, cherry on top going into halftime of just a sloppy half of Duke football for all three phases. So it was due, and you could see it a mile away 
And I don't even blame Todd for that missed field goal. I blame the announcer for saying that's how you lead a drive with Duke getting points before you even kick the field goal. You can't say that, ACC Network Extra. You can't say that. So I don't even blame Todd for that. I blame that announcer. But, yes, Duke, don't turn the ball over, stop the run, move to 3-0. and And I'm not even going to be able to watch the game. I might be able to watch the game, but I'm going to be on a bachelor party in San Diego. So – Hopefully, hopefully the boys are right this weekend. One thing about special teams, I mean, you you throw out the plays that haven't gone their way. Um, I thought it was really interesting. It is kind of – you get a sense for – you always note the huge plays, like the returns for touchdown, uh, the returns that flip the field. Uh, Elko told us after the Clemson game, before the Lafayette game, that they had eight what they consider big-time – uh, special teams plays and or or they either they had eight or they were plus eight and like you know had 10 of them and gave up two of them that that type of thing that might have been what he meant um and that goes as far as like a punt that goes 45 yards with no net and a kickoff i think that is tackled inside the 20 yard line or stuff like that and he said that the margin of plus eight was the most they'd had in their time at Duke. So that's where you start, where you start talking about like where, where Dabo starts whining about having a 200, 200 game and how Clemson is now one Oh eight, one and one when having that and Dabo's 58 and one in his career when having 200, 200. That's, that's where stats get misleading, man, because Duke won in the margins where that stuff isn't readily available on a box score so decisively that it didn't matter that Clemson had X more first downs and X more rushing passing yards, that type of thing. So, yeah, I mean, look, the the bad special teams plays, yeah, you want to fix those. But yeah. also Duke's getting some really good special teams play. And and that's where that's where you always keep an eye on special teams play. It'll tell you how good a team's depth is because when special teams play starts to slip, it's usually because a team is missing some guys and they're having to throw guys in new roles on special teams. So keep an eye on it uh, throughout the season and you'll know beyond the whole, you know, do we have this starter available? Do we have that guy who's going through warmups? Is Jalen Coleman going to be on the field for us? Special teams will let you know where the depth is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a great point. And also to talk about special teams, the guy we have not shouted out, I have not shouted out personally on the podcast, but I need to from week one is Porter Wilson. I mean, holy hell, did he – Well, how could, he put, how could he shut him out for the Lafayette game? He had the most boring day. Yeah, well, I meant for the, the Clemson game. I didn't give him his love, but, I mean, he was – he looked efficient. I mean, he looked great. But, yeah, the special teams, it's Beamer ball Duke showed in the – against Clemson and then <laughs> with the two blocks as Connor rolls his eyes because that guy hasn't been that guy's coached 10 years ago like they they'd have like six good special teams play in every season and all of a sudden it was marketed as this is what Virginia Tech does to everybody I know oh I I'm with you I, I'm I'm saying it obviously tongue-in-cheek here the only reputation that was more just like concocted and fake then Beamer Ball was David Cutcliffe quarterback whisperer. Here we go. 
I mean, I'm on the same page as you. But again, on the broadcast, they they gave Cutcliffe love for QBU with uh, Riley Leonard, and then the last guy they got before the tenure flipped was getting Henry Beelan to Duke as he looked sharp. And I'm just like, I'm just thinking of you, like, yeah, I guess they can add to a resume, but. Ryan Leonard's freshman year to sophomore year was quite the jump and with coaching changes. And I'm not, I'm just saying I'm being devil's advocate here. I'm just being devil's advocate. We're on the same page and it's just a funny, you know, it's just a funny thing. Yeah, man. Did, did anybody watch Riley's start as a freshman at Virginia tech and think that he was going to be uh, a year later, one of the five best quarterbacks in the ACC? Just offense had to open up, baby. You had to go different. You had to go different game plan. There's no more just, you know, the vanilla 2012 yeah. offense. But yeah, I mean, Riley's Heisman campaign is still alive. This is the game where we can get back on track, Riley, with uh, three touchdowns, three or four touchdowns, and we get back on track because obviously he's due, think due for an he's due for an explosive game after the first two weeks because i mean he was explosive in the run game against clemson obviously and then first half which we talked about in the previous episode that it would be a dress out game dress rehearsal for the starters and then get the backups in and shout out to like travis bates uh getting his first career carry and peyton jones Shit, we didn't even talk about peyton jones he looked pretty good and he get limited carries but he'll get yeah. more more touches as the season goes along I do think there's there's bound to be at least one of the next two games is going to be uh, the team loads up the box and Duke is either going to be beating their heads against the wall trying to run against a run box that is not there or they're, somebody's going to make Riley start putting the ball down the field. Um, it's, it's just kind of the nature of how teams play defense these days. Uh, you either take one or the other away. And so far, teams have not wanted to get beat over the top. Good reason. But I do think at some point here soon, Riley is going to be due for a, you know, 250 plus yard passing performance. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, Jordan Moore, he's due for a big, everybody's due. The playmakers for Duke are due for a big game. And I am very optimistic coming into this game as long weather pending that Duke will light it up through the air because I think they will try and load the box and stop Duke on the ground. Cause as we've already touched on, that's been the strength so far in the first two games is establishing the run. And I think Duke's going to take the top off. And I think Duke's going to have one touchdown. That's going to be 40 or more yards this game. Flip it. Let's, let's see it when it happens. Okay. You'll be in, you'll be bachelor partying. So I don't know how, how quickly we'll get that up. Oh, we're going to have, well, I will be actively tweeting as I normally do, but we will be having the games on at the bar. Uh, my buddy's uncle owns a bar on San Diego, Mission Beach. So we already got the game plan of like Duke's game's going to be here. UNC game's going to be here. Everything's going to be good to go. But yes, when Duke has a 50, 40 plus bomb, the clip is going to go viral. <laughs> viral. The clip is going to be put out. And we're going to go from there because I'm going to say Ryan Leonard will have over 300 yards. He's going to have more passing yards this game than he has on the season currently at 311 yards. I can see it. 
<laughs> that's all I need. That's all I needed to hear. I just, I mean, the thing with the thing with this offense, what they've shown us for a season and two games is, if they can run for two hundred, they're going to run for two hundred. Like they, it's, it's it is kind of it does always get the feeling of like they're going to run the ball until you prove you can stop them running the ball, and then they're going to throw the ball. It's, it's never really been the opposite. Um, you know, thinking back, like maybe the Carolina game last year, they came out and really threw the ball all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a couple of those games early, like uh, Temple, maybe they aired it out a lot. But well, the weight game, the weight game, they had like three guys with over 100 yards receiving, though, too. Yeah, yeah, but it's it always feels more like they're running to set up the pass than passing to set up the run. Um, yeah. it's not always going to be like that, but that, that seems like it's more often than not what the game plan calls for. We will see this upcoming weekend, Connor, as my Duke Blue Devils try and move to 3-0 and and crack the top 20 in the AP poll next week. And then hopefully we'll be talking about a 3-0 and Duke team facing the UConn Huskies. Yeah.